Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to share something uh, with the area from where I come, and it is the snow. And so I, uh, I saw this beautiful display here that you can see behind the screen about spring flowers. They have been talking about spring flowers and how beautiful they are. They're now covered with a mantle of snow, reflecting upon us Christ's righteousness. And yet in a few days, everything will be changed. And I hope that the change that you will see in the next couple of days may be a change in your own life. Because ultimately, that is what counts, right? Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our Savior and Redeemer, amen. When I caught this invitation... Uh, and I heard that the theme was specifically revival and the Christian life. It challenged me because here in the headquarters, this theme has been resounding for nearly three years. What can I contribute? And I don't want to repeat what others have said. Anyway, I talked to the Lord about it. And I made an outline. It's amazing how he changed things. That he changed this and changed this. And what I share now with you is the latest. What I got from the Lord. I want to speak specifically of the revival of true heart religion. Because if your theme is revival and the Christian life. It's not revival and what the general conference has, has to do. Or Andrews University. Or the unions and the divisions. No, it is a revival in our life. And that brings it really personal. And unless that revival takes place, all the other things are simply cosmetic changes. Are you with me? That is the key. And so therefore the Lord impressed me to talk about true heart religion. And specifically here, the revival under Samuel. And if you have your Bibles with you, and I expect here everybody has a Bible or an iPad or your iPhone with the scriptures, if you look then in the story of Samuel, here in 1 Samuel, Chapter 7, verse 2 through 13. And in this presentation, you will hear less my words and more the words of scriptures and the pen of inspiration. We need to hear the words of inspired sources. And so here then, it says in verse 2 of chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, so it was that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim, a long time. It was that 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now what happened? What happened? The background information you find in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13 to 20. Remember that the people had the audacity to take the sacred ark on a warpath. And the protection of the Lord disappeared and they lost their ark. 
That was what God's people experienced. And now, after pleading with the Lord and whatever, finally the ark came back. And there he came. And there, in verse 13 of chapter 6, now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted their eyes up and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. It is a celebration. And they were thrilled about it. Praise the Lord. And what happened then? Immediately they rejoiced and then they, they cut the ark, the, not the ark, but the uh, cart in pieces and started to offer. That were the people of that day. And then the, the Levites took care of the ark. And then it continues. And uh, my, this was the greatest day of their life. The sacred ark has returned. And now in verse 19. Then God struck the man of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck an enormous amount of people. In fact, it says here, the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. Lord, what is going to happen? We rejoice, we praise your name, and you kill us off. Think about it, you know. He came back from the Philistine, the evil people. And now you are killing us? Lord, what is the matter? And so they called another community and they took the ark. And there it stayed for 20 years. Not in Shiloh, the center of religious activity. No. And the people lamented and lamented and lamented. Very, very sad. Now, what was now the solution to this crisis? God looked and saw who he could trust. And so here we reflect upon God's choice of leadership. Samuel was the man of the hour. And what is the relevance for us? Now let's first see what Samuel did as a leader. Verse 3 of chapter 7. And Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. Here it is. Calling to a heart surrender. That is the key of any reformation. Put away the idols and I will clean your heart. And then, verse 4, the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And that was, not, that was a promise, a commitment. So Samuel said, okay, gather everybody here together, the high and the low, the rich and the poor, everyone. And there it is. They came there together and uh, then they declared a day of fasting in verse 6. They fasted the day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. What was the sin that caused this great slaughter? They did not have the right to look in the ark. And yet they did. In their enthusiasm. Because, the Lord, and why not look in the ark? Because maybe the Philistines had defiled it. And yet everyone who had the audacity 
to touch the sacredness of God. Was slaughtered. No matter what you like to celebrate, no matter what is the celebration that we do in harmony with the word of God or not. That is the key. And so here it is. And so the children of Israel, in verse 8, said to Samuel, the leader, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the enemy. And then Samuel did. And he, the leadership of the church at that time, they cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. And how did the Lord take care of the, all the problems and the enemies? Here it is in verse 10. The Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the enemy. And the enemy disappeared. What would happen to the church if we would cry together in the face of all the insurmountable problems? And we have problems. And they are big. But what would happen? Would the Lord not take care of them? Would he? Oh yes, there's no doubt about it. And therefore every day on my prayer list, I call upon the Lord to solve those. I have no answer, friends. Absolutely not. But I know that when I cried, the Lord will answer me. And I hope that the leadership of the church, whether it is general conference, divisions, conferences, unions, schools, that they cry out to the Lord. That's our only hope, friends. If we don't do it, the problems will accumulate. Are you with me? And so here then, it continues. And as a result, as a result of the prepense of the people and Samuel crying out, the leadership crying out, and the hands of the Lord, in verse 13, was against the enemy all the days of Samuel. And so I appreciate the call to revival and reformation that our church is now focused on. And I hope that we'll continue if the Lord doesn't come in 2015. I hope that we not change. You know, every administration, what do they do? They have a new theme for the next five years. How can you now change the theme of revival and reformation? There is no other change until you exponentially put it to the 10th power, to the 100th power, whatever. Friend, there is nothing better than this. And I have experienced this in my life for many, many years. I have revival reformation. Every, every day, I call upon the Lord. Whenever I speak, I introduce a subject. Because I don't get tired of it. You only get tired of it if it is a program. But if you experience it in your life, day by day, it is get exciting. Because the revives. What better thing is there than to experience revival? And then, the second part of the coin is the Reformation. So unless you have changes in your life, you haven't experienced the revival. Are you with me? That's the key. That's the key. And the people said, Amen. Now here, how important is this section of Samuel? 
And I think we as a church are so blessed with the insight of the spirit of prophecy. When I looked at the Bible and said, you know, what shall I focus on? This was my catalyst. There is need today. When? Today for such a revival of true heart religion as was experienced by ancient Israel in the days of Samuel. Isn't it tremendous? This is it. This is what we need. Now let us now unpack this. You know, I mean, you can have all kinds of preachers that excite you, you know, to the top of the world and whatever, Mount Everest. But after one week, after one month, what happened? Things died down. So you need to have the teaching element. Remember, about a half a year ago, I had the privilege of reflecting on Jehoshaphat, the revival. What did he do? He called for teachers that experienced revival and sent them out among the people. So let us now unpack this. What does it mean? I mean the true heart religion. Because if you don't have it, friends, you miss the greatest thing in the world. You think you're happy, but you haven't even touched the real happiness the Lord will give you. And so how did that revival come about? God's people responded to the call of the prophet to repent by putting away the idols. Is there anyone here who doesn't have any idols? Oh, yeah, you may say, you know, I don't have them here displayed, you know. Like I met in Thailand, one of the church members there, and I visited her, and there was a life-size Buddha. I said, what is it, your sister? What are you doing? Oh, she says, you know, she says, my daughter was so sick, and she was, was about to die, with, and then I called to Jesus, and nothing happened. Then he decided to call to Buddha, and then she recovered. I said, so sister, will you not return to Jesus and put the Buddha away? No. I still love Jesus, but Buddha. Friends, now that is an obvious example that you wouldn't have in your room or in your house. But what about the idols within? You know, that is an important thing. And so here then, secondly, they made a commitment to follow the Lord only. Think about it. Do we follow the Lord only? Is there anything in our life that would jeopardize the only commitment to the Lord? And that is what you have to find out. And that is the Lord needs to teach us that. David cried out, Lord, cleanse me from the unknown sins. And Samuel, the man of the hour. Now let us look here from a leadership perspective. What is Samuel? What do we learn? And the pen of inspiration says the following things. Of course, it is mentioned in the list of those who overcame by faith. Hebrews 11, 32. And you read it, you know, there you have the, 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 the Hall of Fame. And what was so unique about those people? Each one was an overcomer. Each one. Are you an overcomer? Or one that tastes more defeat than victory? 
If you taste more defeat than victory, how can you be extremely happy? How can you share? Samuel, the heavenly instructed child, the incorruptible judge, the founder of Israel's sacred schools. From childhood on, he was instructed. Have we instructed our children from childhood? If not, there is still opportunity for your grandchildren. There's always an opportunity to grow. I was only in my early 20s when I met the Lord. I tell you, I wish that, you know, for some of you from childhood. But, you know, that's against me. 20 plus years of not knowing the Lord. And all the damage during the years. But now I can praise the Lord. I look forward to the years that they have. And people talk about, you know, when, when, when are you taking it easy? Easy, I see. <laughs> I learned something from the Spirit of Prophecy. She was in her 80s and she was writing morning till late at night. And people say, you know, why do you do this? She says, the Lord has still a work for me to do. And it was not until she broke her hip that she said, my work is over. So unless I break my hip, I will continue till the end. Until I'm consumed of the altar of sacrifice. And so here, he was also very clever because Samuel realized that if he preached and shared, he needed to have schools. But what kind of schools? Sacred schools. And in a sacred school, there is a sacred place. And what is a sacred element in our schools? We don't have an ark, but we have what? Elamai talks about the sacred scriptures. Is this still sacred? Or do we do whatever we want to do? And manipulate and try to support our presuppositions? Or do we humble ourselves and say, Lord, may I not touch the sacred tool that you have given to this world? To earn, to experience, to accept eternal life. And so that is important. The sacredness of our schools and the centrality of the word of God. And his character qualities, obedience and faithfulness. Everybody knew, no matter what, he was obedient. And what else? He was faithful to the very end. Friends, are we faithful to the sacred scriptures? Are we obedient to every word that comes, not from me, but from the word of God? And when you go home tonight, when you reflect upon this presentation, think about it. Think about it. Not what I have said, but what does the word we need to have the Berean mentality in spite of our busyness. Oh, yeah, I said, you know, this is beautiful, but I don't have time. You see my desk at the seminary? Piled high. I can catch up by neglecting this. No, I can't. I can't expect the Lord to bless me. I cannot, you know, be involved with detours in my life. 
And friends, if you don't follow the counsels that the Lord has given us, you make plenty of detours. Your whole tenure here at the General Conference may, oh yeah, you have produced programs. But are those programs the Lord's programs? That's the question. And so here, how do we now, and now we go to the nitty-gritty. How is it that we can experience it? The first step, the first step to true heart religion. Repentance is the first step that must be taken by all who would return to God. No one can do this work for another. We must individually, what? Humble our souls before God and put away our idols. When we have done all that we can do, the Lord will manifest to us, what? His salvation. This is from Patriarchs and Prophets, 590. Beautiful statement here. And so, as is that what we have experienced? And this morning, I want to re you to reflect and respond to especially this here. What are idols? What idols are obstacles? Anything, friends, that what? That interferes with the love of Jesus. Idols are without, within. Idols of self-pleasure, self-serving, love of ease, gratification of taste, appetite and passion. Unnatural stimulus like tobacco, alcohol, tea, coffee, etc. Idols. Time with certain kinds of amusements and sports. Mingling Christ religion with worldliness. Adoption of worldly policies that affect through piety. Where do we get our new ideas for new programs, new initiatives? All of this, is it from the outside or is it through the inspiration that the Lord has given in those over 100,000 pages of information? Have you read thousands of those pages? Have you read 10,000? 20,000? If not, today is the time to change. You believe that? Not postponing it today. And the Lord will give you insights that will revive your department, your church, your conference. Incorrect incorporation of worldly strategies and philosophies conflicting with the centrality of the Bible in our administration, teaching or preaching. And I can go on and on and on. So friends, what now is true repentance? Acts 5.31, you find us. And what is that? Anybody? Friends, it is a gift from Christ. So no matter what you do, you can. So why have I been talking about this? You know, putting away the idols. You talk to the Lord about it. Call upon him. And he will make your heart willing to make a change. I have a carnal heart. I've experienced 20 years and more of worldly living. And for me, it's much more difficult than some of you. You are saints in comparison to me. But the Lord can do with the worst criminals, the worst people in the world. And he made a change. And when I made a change... I tell you, my colleagues and my friends, they couldn't believe what they saw. And my mother thought I was ready for a mental institution. 
<laughs> the Lord is the best healer, the best medical missionary, and he cured me. And still, I have a carnal nature. Still, every day, it's coming up. But through the Lord, it's getting down. Then Matthew 3, verse 8. If you have true repentance, John the Baptist called upon it. What did he say to the leadership? True repentance is seen by your fruit. Bring fruits of righteousness that people can see. Not to glorify you, but to glorify your Father in heaven. And secondly, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 through 10. There it talks about ungodly sorrow that is not to be repented of. So in other words, a true repentance is not something that in many churches, I don't, you go to a council and you repeat it over and over again to a priest, you could do it over again to a minister. Over, no, a true repentance is repentance with the Lord. And he will give you power not to stumble and stumble again. Isn't it marvelous? You believe that. If you believe that, that is the, that, that is the platform of your success. And so here, how to have now godly sorrow? Yeah. Not worldly sorrow, godly sorrow. Notice the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Many of us have no idea what sin is. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ must be exercised. As the sinner looks into the divine mirror, he will see the exceeding sinfulness of sin and will be driven to Christ. Now, that's the key. It will not put you away. Sometimes people say, you know, stop the Bible or talk not about spirit of prophecy because if I read it, I get discouraged. Praise the Lord that you get discouraged. But you need to have a way out. Unless we get not discouraged with our own inability, we will never gain the victory. Here it is. So the discouragement shows us now the way to Jesus. Remember, it is the law in Galatians that leads us to Christ. And we are not a glutton for punishment. No. But unless we see our own need, friends, we will never cry out to the Lord. And many times I have to cry out to the Lord because I was so fed up with my own failures. But this doesn't need to be the pattern of the rest of my life. <clears throat> Godly sorrow will result from a realization of his frailty and depravity. His faith in the atoning sacrifice will be based on the sacred promise of full and complete pardon in Christ. Marvelous, marvelous. And so when you behold Christ, when you behold Calvary and see the agony that Christ had to endure, apply it to yourself. Oh yes, but I was not a criminal. I was not like the Jews. Hey, listen. For every sin that we commit, Christ's blood has again to be applied. Do you realize it? So Paul talked in the book of Hebrews, crucifying Again, the Lord. Think about it. If that understanding is a part of our lifestyle, friends, we will not dally 
with sin so easily? No, absolutely not. You'll find this in the Review and Herald, June 26, 1900. Then, what is now the result of godly sorrow? What is the result? What will you see in a repentant person? True repentance can never be mistaken. It bears fruit that testifies of our own genuineness. Self is subdued, Christ is magnified. We don't talk so much about what we have done, what our progress we have done, but what Christ has done. Review and Herald, February 8, 1906. Godly sorrow, which produces repentance unto salvation, would lead them to make an what? Immediate and decided change. There will be a change. We cannot remain the same. If you remain the same after this week of prayer, you've missed this whole thing. And I have to change too. More and more like Jesus. Signs of the Times, June 2, 1881. And so, friends, that is the result. self abdued Christ elevated. Immediate and decided change. What is the sort of the world? Deceptive. Without any virtue, you lose out. This is the sort of the world which works death and pacifies the conscience while the sin is still cherished and would be carried on just the same if there were an opportunity and they could not be discovered. Testimonies to ministers, 448 to 449. You see here, it pacified, it put me, put us in a comfortable zone while sin is still maintained. We have uh, in our church uh, some that talk about a, a, a theology and a theology that gives you the assurance of salvation with every day continue to sin and continue to sin until the Lord comes. This is what Satan likes. There are churches that teach that, but it shouldn't be a part of our church. We are a victory church. Think about, do you believe this? Is this from the period of prophecy or is it for me? No. The Lord has revealed this. The worldly sorrow comes with this attitude. And never you will have the ultimate peace. Because if you do what the Lord wants with his power, you have peace. You don't need to go to sermons. Okay, I need to have this assurance of salvation. No. If you have peace in your heart, why should you search for the assurance of salvation? But if you don't, the pen of inspiration will give you this. Are you with me? And so, the failure of true repentance. Failure of an immediate decided change. But here is where many fa false fail confessions are made. Sorrow is expressed. Tears are shed. But there is no permanent change of life. Unless the heart is renewed by divine grace. And earnest effort is made to resist temptation. We shall be overcome again and again. Here it is. Here it describes the experience of some of us here. Over and over and over again. That is not the true repentance that comes with the true revival. The effects of true repentance, we are to be cheerful, not sorrowful. A true sense 
of repentance before God does not hold us in bondage, causing us to feel like persons in a funeral procession. We have to be cheerful, not sorrowful. But all the time we are to be sorry that after Christ has given his precious life for us, we gave so many years of our life to the powers of darkness. Think about it, friends. Think about it. How much of our time today are we spending really with the power of the darkness? And if we don't know whether the power of darkness, we don't understand what really sin is. Sin is spending more time with other things than with Jesus and his work. And so here now is a call for self-examination. And very few of us really do this on a daily basis. Maybe sometimes after a week of prayer or during a week of prayer. But here it is. There is great necessity for close self-examination in the light of God's word. Let each one raise the in inquiry. Am I of a sound or am I rotten at the heart? Am I renewed in Christ or am I still carnal at heart? With a new dress put on the outside. Reign yourself up to the great tribunal and in the light of God examine to see if there be any secret sin that you are cherishing, any idol that you have not sacrificed. Pray, yet pray as you have never prayed before. Here it is. Pray. And we are in a week of prayer, right? And therefore, frequently you have sermons till the very, very end. And where's prayer? An opening prayer, yes. At this time, I think we should do something like that. And I want you simply to talk to God. To talk to God of what you have heard. The pen of inspiration, the Bible, spirit of prophecy has counseled us to do. In the quietness here, talk to God. And I would like to reflect, you to reflect upon the following reflections. What obstacles are there in my life so that through, or to true heart religion? What are the obstacles? What decisions do I make next month? Today, to remove these obstacles. Maybe you have so many things. Just take them one by one by one. Then, what is there in my position, my employment, my job, that hinders me in experiencing revival? And what commitment do I make today to experience a true heart religion? And I would invite you to reflect upon those wherever you are, if you are possibly can kneel and talk to the Lord in the next 10 minutes or so. Talk to the Lord. This prayer has no ending, except when I call for an ending. You talk to the Lord. It's your business with the Lord. I'm simply a channel to make available what the Lord wants us to do. Let us kneel at this time. Lord, 
Thank you for being with us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for having given us the opportunity to talk to you in the quietness of this place. Thank you for having the opportunity to really self-examine our lives. Where are we heading? Where we should go? And now may the peace of the Lord and His great mercy be with you all. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.